Talk lines are open now. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. Daly show for you. Yes, today's a rerun. Um, I have a uh, speaking engagement. So today's a rerun. And I just wanted to let you know I'm going to walk you through today's show because it is six to seven years ago that I'm, I'm presenting these uh, re- reruns because I want to compare and contrast. I want to show you kind of what we were up against. I think it's kind of fascinating to go back in time. And six to seven years goes by really fast. Make sure you get over to Balance of Nature. It is by far the only supplement. I. <laughs> it's so packed with everything. You can't get a better supplement than Balance of Nature, and you need to be taking one. So uh, go to balanceofnature.com, and the code word is Kate. It helps the show, too. And uh, make sure that you are getting this and trying it for yourself, for your family. 31 fruits and vegetables. 31 fruits and vegetables. You just can't go wrong. So uh, try it, okay? And uh, balanceofnature.com, code word Kate, 35% off and free shipping. Before we get back to Chrisanne, I want to share with you a news clip from six years ago. You ready for this? Here's a news clip from six years ago. Trump has a rally in Miami in a couple of hours. He announced this morning he's changed his mind about President Obama not being born in this country. Following a long run of retired honored veterans telling a room full of reporters in Washington why they're supporting Donald Trump's presidential bid, Trump himself spent less than a minute claiming he believes President Obama was, in fact, born in the U.S. and that he doesn't support the so-called birther controversy. Hillary Clinton and her campaign of 2008 started the birther controversy. I finished it. A statement from the Clinton camp calls Trump disgraceful and that he pushed a racist conspiracy. At Miami's James L. Knight Center, where Donald Trump will hold a rally tonight, Eben Brown, Fox News. Members of the Congressional Black Caucus come out to say the whole thing's racist. Donald Trump is nothing more than a two-bit racial arsonist who for decades has done nothing but fan the flames of bigotry and hatred. That's New York Democrat Hakeem Jeffries. It's just been announced that the Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson and Green Party candidate Jill Stein are not invited to the first presidential debate a week from Monday, with poll numbers too low to meet the organizer's threshold. The number three Islamic State terrorist leader has been killed in a drone strike in Syria. The drone strike took place on September 7 near the ISIS de facto headquarters of Raqqa, Syria, according to a statement from Pentagon spokesman Peter Cook. The ISIS leader was known as Dr. Wail. The Pentagon says he was the ISIS information minister and member of its senior Shura Council, or leadership group. He oversaw ISIS execution videos and other terrorist propaganda. The drone strike follows another successful attack, killing ISIS spy chief Muhammad al-Adnani late last month. Fox's Lucas Tomlinson at the Pentagon at the closing bell on Wall Street. The Dow down 89 points, and you're listening to Fox News Radio. Remember when we were all talking about ISIS and uh, the birther and the fact that Obama has no history or past and, you know, yada, 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 right? It's interesting how you can go back six years ago and you can kind of see what we were talking about six and seven years ago. It's amazing to me Um, because it's always fear, but it's just in different ways, right? And it's always uh, people are trying to point out the truth, but they must be crazy. It's the same thing over and over again. All right. Um, so that's the Wayback Machine. Let me bring you to the Wayback Machine of Chris Ann's first visit. Here we go. 
When did it start to change in your mind's eye? Because we've gone back, we've talked about the Rockefellers, we talked about all of the, the situations that arose that really are the power behind the power. They are kind of this, the shadow government. Um, but tell me what you think. When did it change? When did it really start to change? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's always a gradual change. It always happens gradually throughout centuries. That's what I do. I teach, I teach history, and it's, and it's repetition and it's cumulative effects. Mm-hmm. And it never, there's never really a deciding moment. It's always something that happens gradually. Right. In 1803, uh, the Supreme Court issued opinion in a case called Marbury versus Madison, mm-hmm. in which John Jay made statements that future courts have taken completely out of context to expand judicial power and to create a judicial supremacy, literally making us ruled by oligarchy. And then uh, what we now have is a situation since, by about 1903, mostly 1913, 1912, when we had an aggressive attack on the sovereignty of the states in, uh, in the uh, 16th and the 17th Amendments. Those were led by the progressives of 1912, whose leader was Teddy Roosevelt. And so what we have are, is, are, are these people running under the Republican Party at the time, uh, disguising themselves to be, uh, you know, the Republicans, when in actuality they were uh, globalists and they were federal, uh, you know, federal supremacists. Tell me about states' rights. The Constitution is a, a mere contract. It is a mere piece of paper, right? And and so to enforce that, it was supposed to be the states were at the helm. Uh, talk to me about states' rights. Okay, well. Uh, James Madison does it better than, than anybody in Federalist Papers 45. And what we need to understand is that uh, the power, uh, as the Tenth Amendment says, the power is not delegated, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Now, that word respectively indicates that the powers are reserved to the states in their independent status. Mm-hmm. So Georgia has, a power, uh, has their powers, Florida has their powers, Washington has their powers, and they don't have to share them with each other, and they don't need permission from each other to exercise their powers. Right. And so uh, the two words there that are most important there in the Tenth Amendment are delegated and reserved. And Madison explains in Federalist 45 that the powers delegated to the federal government through the Constitution are, are he says, they're limited and defined. They are uh, to be exercised on uh, external objects, which is, how our framers referred to foreign affairs. Mm -hmm. And then he names them war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce, meaning that these these are the realm, this is the realm in which the federal government operates, foreign, which, incidentally, is the same agreement that Madison's forefathers made with their kings in that the king's only power would be with foreign kingdoms and he would have to leave the independent communities alone to govern themselves. And so he goes on to say that the powers reserved to the states that remain in the states are numerous and indefinite, and he lists them as well. He says the powers reserved to the states are, uh, are the, all the rest of the powers, including the lives, liberties, the properties, the internal order, improvement, and prosperity of the states. And so what Madison was simply saying is if it's not foreign affairs, if it's not this war, peace, negotiation, and foreign commerce, mm-hmm. it is a power that is reserved to the state. Right. Now, where do we get states' rights from? The states' rights are inherent in that word reserved. 
You see, if we look up the word reserved in the dictionary, which is fun to do sometimes, look up words that you, you sure. use all the time because sure. they mean things that we don't really, we don't really understand. Mm-hmm. And that word reserved means if something is reserved to you, that you have the power to exercise dominion over that thing exclusive of everybody else. Hmm. And what Madison is saying is inherent in that reserved power is the right of the state to secure it unto themselves exclusive of the federal government. So Madison tells us in 1789 that the state legislators are the surest guardians of our liberty because they are the greatest opponents to the federal government stealing their power. Living, breathing documents, which made me want to pluck my eyebrows out one hair at a time. Tell me a little bit about how you how you feel about that statement when they're alluding to the like the uh, editor of New York Magazine when he said, "Oh, it's living and breathing, and it's dependent upon the population, as if principles change when the population grows." It's amazing. Well, you know, it's ironic because the Constitution is a contract. And you can't deny that it's a contract. Our framers refer to it as a compact, which Mm -hmm. is a contract between sovereign governments. And the editor of the New York Times would never allow you to interpret his private business contracts as a living, breathing document. That is a great point. But he wants you to interpret the supreme law of the land, the contract of the land, as a living, breathing document. You'd never find a judge or a lawyer that would interpret a contract (laughs) that way. Great point. Apparently, the Constitution is the only contract in the United States where judges and lawyers refuse to apply contract law. That's brilliant. (laughs) I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. Thank you. (laughs) Because it just, it it makes my skin crawl when people say principles can change because there's more people in the room. I I just, I don't understand it. it. It floors me and I'm sure it floors you. What got you interested in the Constitution in the first place and what gave you your background? Who did you look up to? Well, you know, um, I, I was in law school. And I'm, I'm sort of a dot connector. My undergraduate degree is in biochemistry, so I like the whole analytical thinking aspect mm-hmm. of it. And when I was in law school, I read a couple books, just biographies on the framers. And I really fell in love with them. Uh, I just, I thought, you know, the, the, the Bible teaches that there is no greater love than a man give his life for his, his brother or his friend. And I thought, you know, these people gave their lives for us. Yes. And I wanted to know more about them. And so I started picking up their, what they um, actually wrote. I was practicing constitutional law with a private firm who did First Amendment defense. And I just started reading more and more, and I started realizing that what we taught, we were taught in law school doesn't even remotely resemble to the, the Constitution. Wow. Because we don't teach the Constitution in law schools. We teach constitutional law, which teaches that judges and lawyers know more about the Constitution than the men who wrote it. Because, you know, after all, they're just a bunch of dead guys who wrote irrelevant documents. We, I graduated from University of Florida, graduating class of 300, and I bet the majority of my classmates would tell you they never even looked at the Constitution during their three years of law school. Wow. And so, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's crazy. And so I just started learning and learning, and then people uh, started wanting me to come and talk to them about it. I, I really can't explain how it happened. I think that it was just a God thing. I think so, and, too. And uh, I started teaching, and then... I was uh, working as a prosecutor for the state of Florida, and my boss didn't like what I was doing, and he fired me for teaching the Constitution to, he called right-wing fringe groups. He said I couldn't teach um, 
that the Constitution uh, advocated for small government because that was an ethical conflict of interest for anybody who worked for government. <laughs> I would imagine. And, <laughs> yeah, right? And so yeah. he, he, he gave me an ultimatum, you can teach uh, or you can work for me. Well, I knew First Amendment law. I knew he couldn't limit my speech when I'm not at work. And so I told him, your paycheck's not worth my liberty and I'm not going to shut up. So... He nice. uh, he fired me, and now this is what I do. This is we are beginning year number six. Mm-hmm. I teach about two hundred and sixty-five classes in over twenty-two states every single year. Wow! I teach high school, middle school students, college students. I teach religious liberty in churches. I teach adult groups. I teach. I am now teaching state legislators and law enforcement. Wow. Good. I am so glad to hear that. I'm actually breathing a sigh of relief. You know, if our schools here um, were worth their salt, and I really mean this as a challenge because I know they're listening right now, um, I would say to you, have a special assembly. Instead of all the garbly gook that we do in assemblies, have Chrisanne Hall come out, fly her out, and have her speak to our juniors and seniors and sophomores, and have her make sense of the Constitution to them because it's the most important class they'll ever learn in high school. And it's not being taught. It's being wiped. Whitewashed. Are you amazed at how they are interpreting the, the, the document and then teaching kids in assignments how they're interpreting this? It, I, I'm sure it just amazes you. I, I laugh at that whole interpreting thing. I do, As too. if the document's written in Mandarin Chinese and we need to interpret it. You know, it's <laughs> English. And uh, yes. you don't need to interpret it in the way that they do it, redefining the words. The only interpretation that is necessary is not interpretation, it's application. And it's the application of the drafters of the contract that makes the difference. That was Chris Ann Hall, and that was, I'm not kidding, this was seven years ago on one of her first visits uh, to the show. And I absolutely love that she's still going strong. And, uh, of course, that was seven years ago, so you can just tack on seven years to what she just talked about in her education. She's everywhere. Love it. Be right back on The Kate Daly Show. Don't go anywhere. I've got more for you.